I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is a designer of digital experiences in the wellness industry that merge fine art and interactive technology with personal development, personal growth, and consciousness development, if you want, or spiritual ascendance. Dorota Stanchik is a transformational artist. So she uses art to help with spiritual transformation. She's a creative director and she focuses specifically on a topic that's called conscious creativity. So using consciousness in creative work and using creativity to achieve consciousness. She's a successful speaker and the author of the new book, Recreate Yourself. Dorota is also my dear friend for many, many years, where frequently we have conversations that are transformational, really, and enlightening for both of us. Today, you're going to join us on one of those conversations around self-love. And basically, Recreate Yourself is a book that I have witnessed in the making myself. I've witnessed experiences that Dorota shares in that book that helped create the person that she is and how she dealt with them from the aspect or the angle of self-love. Dorota is also my co-founder on Appy, our happiness app, hopefully to come out end of quarter one of this year. And she is also the founder of Inner Art, an artist herself and a wonderful friend. I hope you will enjoy our conversation today about her new book coming out on March 3rd, Recreate Yourself. First of all, so nice to see you in this formal setting, Dorota. So nice to see you. We're going to have to be formal in front of everybody. Dorota is what I will avoid saying because everyone listening should understand that Dorota taught me that in the Polish language, Dorota is a bit of a, if you address her formally. Too formal. Yeah, right. And so uh, I learned that Dorotka is the right way to address my dear friend. And uh, in this formal conversation, I will use Dorota. No, I won't. Anyway, uh, (laughs) last time you were here, do you remember? You were one of the first 15, 20 guests on Slow Mo. And I have to say it was a very very personal conversation. For those who may have not had the chance to listen to it, go back to the early episodes of Slow Mo. Because Dorota at the time shared so openly, honestly, almost shockingly vulnerable about some of the toughest times of her life. I mean, she spoke about her challenges with her family. She spoke about her own issues with self-love and then how she managed to heal herself, not, not just heal herself emotionally, actually, even physically from a disease that, or a, a health challenge that she suffered from. And at the time, you were always working on this book in the background. You always, it almost was always written, if you think about it. But now Recreate Yourself is out or about to be out next week. So 
what made you take the step? Why a book? It wasn't really a choice. It wasn't like, oh my God, I really wish to become a writer. My job was very different in the art industry and creative industry. But after the life shift I have experienced now over 10 years ago, I was so profound on the way I was perceiving the reality, perceiving myself and life that I started to basically getting those downloads on information, those understanding in pretty large forms. And when it when it would happen, I literally didn't have a choice. I had to get it out. So I had to write it. So first, it was in the form of really a flow of thoughts that I would sometimes translate and create an article about. It would always have a very specific topic. It would have a theme that I would get this understanding. I would get this download of consciousness and I would put it down on the paper. And for years, I would do that. And it, those realizations would come to me. And at some point, I decided to create a book. And that was 10 years ago. So I wrote it, actually, in Polish. <laughs> I Oh, did you? I, I did. Uh, I paid an editor to, to edit it correctly. I paid a translator to translate it into, into English. And then I threw it away. <laughs> that is so you. <laughs> Just for the but art of it. <laughs> it is beautiful because it, it does prove that the process is the most important, not the final result. And for me, it was really a very healing journey to write everything I was writing and doing that research and complementing uh, that research with, with a lot of interviews I had with everyone from neuroscientists to monks to to psychedelics experts, to writers, to speakers, etc. And, you know, I just realized because the first book was on relationships and I realized I can't, yes, it was all about relationships. And I realized I can't write a book about relationships without understanding the most important relationship that there is with myself. And so I started from scratch after five years of writing. And this time I started in English. So the second book, I probably started to rewrite everything around four or five years ago. And at this stage, when you just write for the sake of writing, uh, I sort of didn't even plan to publish it. And to be quite honest, me, who is, I mean, I love knowledge and I love science and I'm very geeky, but I also have my spiritual side and occasionally here and there, I will go and see a psychic just to test their knowledge of, <laughs> of everything. And nothing that psychic ever told me ever became true, but you know, it's a fun thing to do. And, <laughs> and many, many psychics told me you are not supposed to publish a book. And I kept writing because the the desire to write was stronger than the result that I would expect from it. And the moment I wrote the very last chapter, and you can feel it when you write the very last chapter, it's like you just feel like, okay, this work is done. It's completed. Three weeks after completing the last chapter, I've got a random email that I thought was a spam from a, a publishing house saying, look, we, we saw your talk about self-love online. Would you be interested in writing a book with us on self-love? Mm. And I was amazed because everything just came so easily. I sent them the whole book and they loved it and they 
decided to sign me and publish me. So you should have answered by saying, oh, that's a good idea. Give me two days. I think I might come up with something. <laughs> exactly right. I'm like, just hold on. Like, give me half an hour. I'm just going to like. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a fast typist. <laughs> I the I magic. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you something, a couple of hundred pages in a week or something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, 250 pages. Yes. But um and that's the story, which is a pretty incredible story because the story made me realize that the moment you you let go of the result of anything that you're creating, you're much more likely to attract your truest desires because the fear of losing anything will actually repulse that, that very thing that you desire and and push it away. But this is very unusual timing. I mean, like... You finish and then three weeks later, someone calls to say, give me what you finished. I mean, this is, this is basically the universe saying, all right, time to get this out there. That's very, I don't think that's normal, is it? Depends. I believe everything in this life is possible and we have a power within us beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. And we don't use it. We know that. We know that we don't use it. There is always, and there will always be the sense of a certain unfulfillment. We know we can do more. We know we can be better. We, we know we can be this bigger form of who we are. This sense is always will be there because that sense push us in a certain way to create. It motivates us to create, to create the reality in our surrounding, but to create ourselves, which is the most important goal in this life is to learn the creation, which fundamentally, actually, it's, we think it's our creation, but is it only our creation? Is the thoughts and ideas that come to our mind only ours? Or actually, it connects to the, to the creation of the universe that might want much bigger things for us that we could possibly imagine. Because our imagination is our greatest limit, because we can't imagine what we don't know. So the moment we let go of that desire of what we think is right for us, of what we think we want, of what we think we want to achieve in this life, we open to a possibility of what life might want for us. And very often that is so much more we, that we can possibly imagine. And in that case, me letting go of the result with this book and being literally able to put it, I was ready to put it as a PDF on my website just for people to have that that created this beautiful synergy and synchronicity where that was not the life's plan. That was not God's plan, the universe plan. And the plan was that the book was supposed to be published. And and it, everything with that book was so easy, so easy because there was no attachment to it. There was absolutely no attachment from my side. And it really taught me actually a whole new different level of love of attraction, of creation, Realizing that we can only have everything if we are ready to let go of everything. You call it recreate, not create yourself. Yes. And the re in my title is slightly disappearing on purpose because we feel people often think they need to change. They need to shift. They need to transform of who they are. And that comes from the lack of acceptance of who they are at every given moment. They want to change their wardrobe. They want to change their houses. They want to change their cars. They want to change their wives. They want to change their jobs. And they want to change actually themselves constantly. 
But actually, you're right. It's never recreation. It's creation. It's a constant creation. Because creating who you are means that you're at every given moment accept every single version of who you are. And you move from there. You accept all of that experiences, everything you have ever seen, you have ever tasted, you have every place you have been, people you have loved. You take that and create from that the upgraded version of who you are. So I, I love this. I love the idea of us not having to, I think a, a big challenge of the modern world is that we think that there is something wrong with us, that we actually need to create a better version of us. When in reality, there is just so many flavors to us. Each of them interacts with life differently. And each of them is basically a phase to enjoy, a phase to actually embrace. So the idea of self-love here doesn't assume that there is a point at which you're lovable. You're basically saying in every version, every incarnation of who I have been through my life, including the crazy wild party person or the person that was a little heartbroken after a relationship or the person that had a struggle with a family member or a loved one or whatever, each of those is still lovable in its own version. It's a bit difficult for a lot of people to accept that. But it's so fundamental though, because even how creativity works in, in generally speaking, it takes everything that you have ever experienced, blends it, mix it to create something new. So you need that experience. Those experiences and versions and incarnations of you have contributed to who you are today. So without that, you wouldn't be and you wouldn't achieve and you wouldn't overcome and you wouldn't become who you are today. But why create at all then? If I'm okay with who I am right now, why create a different person at all? With every decision you take, every single day you create, right? Creation doesn't mean going and moving mountains and changing the world. It can, but it doesn't have to. In every single action has a reaction. That's creation. Every single day when you take a decision of doing something, it has a result. So you can create on a very little scale and you can create on a very large scale. There is no right or wrong way of doing things. There is just the path you choose. You are here in this world to experience yourself as a creator. That's why we are here for. And it doesn't matter if you will do that through being a doctor or being a teacher or, or being a writer or being a musician. It's just a path that will give you experience and knowledge about who you are from which you can create yourself even more and experience different versions of yourself. And that's why I love it so much because, you know, it's so important to loving oneself, but even more important is not divorcing ourselves. What do you mean? Well, you know, people, we struggle so much in, in this life because we constantly divorce parts of ourselves. We reject, we push, we numb, we hide parts of ourselves that we are ashamed of, that we feel guilty about, that we, we don't accept of people who are in our life, our parents, our, our lovers sort of didn't accept about us. And so that makes us constantly live in a sort of, 
you know, divided version of who we truly are and fully are. And every single person experienced that because every single person wears some sort of masks to hide those parts of themselves that they have rejected. Right. And so we wear those masks on a daily basis to fit in, to please, to, to feel loved, to feel accepted. And that means that, and very often actually we start to believe in those masks. We start to believe that this is who we truly are. But actually subconsciously there is another belief. Like what mask? Let's give people an example here. For example, I might think about myself that um, I am this positive and an integrity person. And for example, I experience in other people that my biggest trigger was, for example, when people would be angry or opportunistic or jealous and so Seeing that and rejecting that in other people and not accepting that as a, as a part of human experience created in me repulsion for that kind of behavior. And so I rejected that kind of feelings within myself, which created, for example, cognitive dissonance, which is a disconnect be between who we think we are and who we actually are. And so every time when we would feel jealous or angry or opportunistic or anything negative in our eyes, we would not see it, we would not accept it, we would not hold it, we would not open our arms to that feelings, we would repress them and create even stronger mask of not being like that, playing, pretending almost to be someone else that very often we convince ourselves we are. But we are not, because every single person in their life will experience anger and jealousy and shame and guilt and my guilt feels exactly like your guilt and my shame feels exactly like your, your shame those feelings were created to exist in every single person for a reason right so when we experience don't feeling it's not that we are bad people bad humans it's because this life in this body on this earth is basically full of emotions that we have to go through and it's okay. And the moment you open your arms to those emotions and you open your arms to, to those feelings that you rejected, it's a, such a huge feelings of just liberation because you realize, wow, everyone feel it at some point or is triggered by some, some feelings. But rather than rejecting it, if I can love myself still with feeling those negative emotions, that is the most powerful love you can give to yourself, really. So, but that doesn't mean that you should let those emotions go wild, right? So if, let's take any one of the examples, jealousy, for example, right? If you're a little jealous in your relationship, what you're saying is accept it and don't suppress it, show it fully, and don't wear a mask. I say that the most important is to recognize it and to admit it in front of yourself. So saying, I do feel jealous, it's a beautiful act of honesty and vulnerability. Now, you don't have to react out of jealousy. You don't have to take any de decision out of jealousy, but simply just accepting that this is how you feel and being able to share that can be very liberating and actually transformational for your relationship with the other person. Now, there, there is a, another question. Am I, why am I jealous? And that's, in my book, I give plenty of different techniques and exercises that can 
really help you to and guide you to the root of triggers. Because if we are triggered, if we are we are triggered only by never by things that happen actually in the present right moment. Now. What yeah. what trigger us is the past. It's unresolved things from the past, right? Because if I erase your entire memory, you would never be triggered. You might be curious, oh, why this person is screaming at me or why this person reacts like that. But you wouldn't be triggered. If you're triggered, it means it, it's personal. So it connects to the story from the past that hasn't been resolved, that this situation reminds you of. And so it connects to the same emotion from that story and activates those same emotions. So every actually trigger is an opportunity to heal something within ourselves that hasn't been healed. So when I'm triggered, I'm literally, every single time, I know it's not about the other person. I know it's not about this present moment. I know it's not about this situation. I sit down, do the work, go back and try to figure out what is the root of the trigger. Why does it make me feel like that? And very often it's stuff that has been initiated in our childhood or between 10 and 20s. Those situations are defining hugely how we feel and perceive our, our reality today. And it's so important to realize that, that every single situation is an opportunity in the same way that every single situation Again, what we talked about at the beginning gives us an experience that is absolutely necessary for us to create from. So I love this ability to say, I feel jealous or I feel angry. And you're, you're actually saying that you should allow yourself the vulnerability to even share that openly, to not wear a mask. You need to absolutely. be in control, in, not in control, but in... You need to keep your actions in check. You need to behave in a way that doesn't harm you or harm the others. But it's actually an interesting way to go to the other person and say, hey, by the way, I feel like crap, okay? And I need to make sure that you understand that in a nice, pleasant way. I understand that this is not entirely you. It's triggering me. So there is something in me that I need to work on. But hey, by the way, you need to be aware that I'm feeling this way. now. This is beautiful, Dorota. I, I think most people are not capable of doing that, though. I think there is a utility to the mask. There is a reason why we wear those masks. We, we don't want the other person to sort of go like, ooh, I don't want to be with them or reject us or avoid us or make us feel bad about ourselves. And so we hide those emotions. We show no vulnerability. We're strong. We're capable. It's not that easy. It's easier said than done. But because I know you, I know that you've gone through those stages, okay? Where first it was difficult and then you learned across the path that it's actually better for you to share them. Now, share with us a little bit of what happens inside your heart and your mind that gets you to feel okay with sharing openly. And how is Absolutely. that actually a form of self-love? Absolutely. Uh, this is excellent question, Mo. And you are completely right. There is always... Mask serves and protects us from rejection because we can never be rejected for who we truly are. We will, if we are rejected, we will be rejected for who we are not. And that's very clever. In my personal experience, I realize it's much more painful to, to be rejected for who you are not. 
hold on, explain this. We never spoke about this before. This is interesting. Yes. So we're not rejected for who we are. We're rejected for who we are not. That's a very profound statement. Yes, because if you wear a mask, you are not rejected for who you are. You are rejected for who you are not. So you think it's clever and you think it's a protection and you think safe. But actually, my realization and what led me to open up was that I experienced that rejecting for who you are not is much more painful than to be rejected for who you are. Because if you are rejected for who you are not, it creates this feeling of injustice. It creates this feeling of not being seen. And not being seen, you know how many times I spoke to people or I coach people and people would tell me, I don't feel seen. Well, you don't feel seen because you are hiding something. Mm. Every time you don't feel seen by other people, it's because you are not showing yourself. It's because you are not showing who you are. And that was my story. That was my story. I created so many masks. Masks for different occasions and with different people in different circumstances. I was so terrified of sharing who I am. I was so terrified of being rejected for who I am. And by the way, this book, which is literally spiritual autobiography, I mean, it terrifies me that people will will actually read my, my, my story in such a depth that they will know everything about me. But at the same time, it's so liberating. It's so liberating because I can say, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. If you accept it and if you if you can see me and if you can hold the weight of my story, be my friend. If you can't, then that's a great filter for me to know who I choose to surround myself with. However, if you pretend to be someone else constantly, you never meet right people. You always attract people with the same wounds, with the same fears, with the same, you know, rejected part of themselves. And... And so my sort of process was that it was years ago before I started to to, to public speaking. I never shared my story, the one, you know, I shared with you on the first podcast about my family, about my disease, about my uh, disconnection from my brother. Um, And it was something I was hiding from everyone. It was something I was ashamed of. It was something I didn't want to be perceived as weak. I didn't want to uh, be perceived as broken in the way. And there was a stage where the desire to be free just got a bit stronger, the desire to hide. And I just had to leave that prison. And I remember the first time I actually share my story on stage. I didn't share my story. You know, I went all the way. Like, if I'm sharing my story, I'm just going to share it in front of 200 people. And it was the most liberating moment ever. And that just initiated a whole new journey for me of discovering what the power of vulnerability, the power of, um, of showing who you are, because it allows interestingly not only it's magnetizing for other people because when you see yourself people suddenly really want to be seen by you 
And then it allows people, it gives them a permission to show themselves as well. So when we show who we truly are, it really gives another the safe, it creates the safe space for them to show themselves. And I've seen how uncomfortable that can be for people, but how the immense and tremendous transformation there is after doing that. So, so that's, that's the story. And, you know, I removed my mask one by one and I'm sure I still have a lot, but I start to consciously remove them and constantly just being the most vulnerable person ever. And that includes even in friendship. If I feel something, I will always share it. I will always be transparent. I will always be direct, even at cost of being rejected, because I prefer to be rejected for who I am right now. That means this person didn't resonate with who I am, and this person is not supposed to be in my life. I know and that, that is true. a life save. Well, that is time saving because you're much quicker. My experience with you as a friend is that there are many moments I remember actually very vividly where you go like, don't tell me that. I'm like, what? I'm, I'm just trying to tell you. No, 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 no. Don't tell me that you say, right? You say, look, what you just said made me feel this way and I don't want to be feeling this way. And you know, the way to say it should be this, not that. And you're very straight forward about it. <laughs> and and I, I have to say, it's quite, first of all, for my, analytical brain, it's quite liberating because that basically stops me guessing, right? Yes. But at the same time, it's reasonably puzzling because very few people will actually stop a normally flowing conversation and, you know, go like, hold on, hold on. It's time for my self-love, right? It's time for me to recognize that something triggered me here and I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it because it matters to me that I don't pile up emotions, that I don't let those things trigger me unnecessarily. And you're someone I care about, so you might as well know what's happening inside me. I think that's a very interesting skill. So you're actively, you're actively saying, and not only did I take off the, my mask, I'm not going to put it back on. This is not my intention. It's going to always be taken off. Yes. And I believe that now really absolute extreme transparency, but I also don't hold on to things. Meaning once I expressed it in the moment, it's over. Like I won't be angry. I won't be upset. I won't hold it within myself. I won't be talking about this in the month. And that actually is, is very positive because it's almost like, hey, this triggered me. This was actually negative. This made me feel that. But the moment I said it, there is no trigger anymore because I, I shared it. And, and that creates, that gives me, you know how people have this cap that they hold, plenty of emotions and plenty of past and healed wounds, etc. Well, my, my cup is empty because I am emptying that cup at every given moment when, when it gets filled with something. So having the empty cup allows me to feel more vividly what I am experiencing in every single moment that is not colored or influenced by my past. And so it, it strengthened my intuition. It strengthened my, my downloads of insight. It gave me much bigger access to joy, much bigger access to bliss, to gratitude, to appreciation, because and much bigger 
access to being present in every given moment because I am present with myself. I am present with what I feel. I check on myself literally like 20 times per day. Are you okay? How are you feeling right now? What is there? Is it okay? Do you need a little meditation or a walk in the park? I take care of myself and of my mental health. And so when you start doing that, there is so much benefits that there is no way back. There is just no way back to carrying that heavy mask of self-protection. Let's get to self-care in at length. But before we go there, this brutal honesty gets you to somehow face your own shadows, doesn't it? I mean, oh, these yes. are scary moments. Oh, oh, terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. But when you, the first step is the hardest. It really is. Because the first step I actually confronted my shadow and I understood that I was for years beating myself up and basically practicing self-violence without realizing it. I passed a week, a week of basically anxiety, panic attacks, sweat, nightmares. It was like being on the detox because I opened the Pandora box and suddenly all the accumulated emotions started to, to come out. And it was scary. It was so scary. But once you are on the other side and you realize that on the other side, you feel so much better than ever before, you are willing to open another door and another door and another door because you know that sooner you open it, you will access a little bit more of freedom. And that's my journey. And there is still lots of doors that I keep opening, but the process gets easier. You get less and less terrified by the process and the emotions are less, slightly less and less heavy. And, and it happens quicker and quicker. And sometimes I get triggered. I'm, I'm capable of resolving it within 24 hours. Sometimes within an hour, but before it would take me months to get over something. And I think the biggest fear that I had to overcome was my fear of betrayal, my fear of being betrayed. And that's, you know, a lot of people are afraid of that. And, uh, and it's, I think, very valid fear to have. So we don't ever quite like open our heart fully to not take that risk to be hurt, to be betrayed. And that is the biggest lack of freedom we can put on ourselves because if we don't allow ourselves to love fully, we don't our allow ourselves to live because love is the most powerful energy of creation. And so, so that betrayal, when I being afraid of betrayal would actually attract many betrayal in my life from work betrayal to friendship betrayal to a relationship betrayal. And when I was cheated on and lied to for months, it was a pain that I have never felt before because it's a pain of what have I done wrong? What is wrong with me that someone has done it to me, that someone chose to be with someone else over me? And, and that pain, when you question your entire being, your entire identity, your entire worthiness, it's so hard to go through that. And I knew I, I had the choice. I either could never trust men ever after and just 
protect myself until the rest of my life or completely allow this to destroy me and to rebuild myself as a much stronger and more confident person. And this trigger took me probably eight months to go through that process of constant work on this to to be able to overcome what I experienced. And what I found on the other side, I never thought was possible for me. I never thought, I thought I was confident. I was never confident. Only now today, I can see the liberation that it brought me. I can see the the person I've become thanks to this experience. And it was the biggest gift on my, of my life. The freedom I felt after this was nothing describable, nothing that I could potentially even imagine before. It's like, you know, if you tell someone, love yourself and they don't, it's unimaginable for them to even feel how it would feel. And so, so it's abstract, right? You need to really take small steps, small steps and see, oh my God, this is how it feels. This is how good it feels. And this is how amazing, this is, this is the results of my work. And that's why it's worth it. So you, you will keep doing the work. So for you and I, I mean, we share so many of those stories over the years. And it's not a secret that a big trigger of the challenges that people have with self-love is the love of another. And reality is, if you consult with my mathematical mind, finding Mr. Right is a very long process, right? Or finding Miss Right is, you know, it requires mathematical probability of going through some trial and error and hopefully being lucky enough to get that that ability to spot the right candidate when the right candidate shows up and it has a bit of luck in it and so on. And I know that you've gone through some experiences like we all do that sometimes were very difficult. I've witnessed betrayal in your case myself and sometimes were actually the opposite almost, questioning if the person who's kind and loving and so on is the right person for you. Right. And through it all, I have noticed a very interesting, how do I say this? A very interesting paradox of two people, right? The, the very loving Dorota, the romantic, the girly, if you don't mind me saying, who really, really, really values and appreciates love. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there is the other Dorota that is sort of like, okay, uh, what's going on here? Right. What's right for me and what's right for me. If I remember vividly, it always took you a few days, maybe, or sometimes in the very difficult case that you and I know, took you a bit longer than that. But it was always centered around what's right for me, not what my story that I dream of, the romantic, amazing, Prince Charming story. If it's not happening, you had that ability to say, what is right for me? What am I going to do for me here? Relationships in general tend to be, I think, mega risks to self-love because they put those obstacles in your way, but also they bring in the opinion of someone that is very important for you. Yes, it's a feedback. Yeah, and and so the influence of someone that you love on your own self-love becomes quite tricky. How do we love ourselves in a relationship? And this is more, again, excellent question. Yeah. So let's take two scenarios. How do we love ourselves in a relationship that's going wrong? And how do we love ourselves in a relationship that's going right? Is there right or wrong though? Oh, great. Yeah. That's the point. 
is there right or wrong? You know, I, my philosophy, and this is very deep philosophy that maybe will explain my attitude towards the relationship, is that I believe that this life, everything we experience in this reality is a result of who we are. It's a result of where we are at. So it's almost an extension of who we are that shows us and gives us an information about us. And so every single person that we encounter is the right person at that specific moment, is the right person for us. And so every single person is showing us something that we have to see about ourselves, is a mirror to us. And it's the quickest way to learn about ourselves through the relationships. It's the quickest way to learn about all the wounds and unhealed traumas and unhealed, unreleased fears and hidden shadows and blockages. The quickest way is to go and have a relationship because that person will mirror to us where we are at and what is still there to be healed. That's why, you know, Many Monk says, if you think you are enlightened, go home and spend a week with your family, right? Because it just brings up all these triggers. It brings up those emotions. And you think, oh, no, this is not who I am. This is not how I behave in my normal life. But this is exactly who you are. That situation just triggers and allows you to see that. So from coming and seeing life from that angle, for me, every relationship shows me where am I at. In the case of betrayal, I had to, in order to heal, take personal responsibility for what I have attracted to my reality and what I have created. And I look at that situation as a gift that showed me that the fear of rejection, the fear of betrayal that I was carrying within me was there since a long, 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 long time. And only going through that fear and experiencing my biggest fear would be able to heal it. So it allowed me to see the betrayal that was in me, the the betrayal I was doing towards myself, the betrayal of, you know, not fully listening and hearing and respecting myself. And it showed me, you know, much more broken pieces of my soul that I had to put together in that moment. Uh, And in a good relationship, amazing if you attract such a person and they are loving and they are caring. It also is a feedback of, of where you are at. It's like, oh my God, I actually allow myself to be loved like that by someone right now. That perhaps means that I finally love myself like that. What an amazing feedback. Now, it doesn't mean that that person will be the person who will stay with you for the rest of your life. It only means that now you're ready for love. You are open enough and you open your heart enough to allow someone to love you like that and to not treat you badly just because you treat yourself badly. You often use that term emotional freedom. And it's it's actually quite eye-opening. Again, I'm a witness of that. So one one of the things I notice about you is that you would go into a relationship and you know it may work out well or it may not. You may choose to to end it or you may end up, you know, like the case we hinted to being betrayed and 
what surprises me is it takes you a bit of reflection, exactly as you said, on who am I? Why did I invite this into my life? What can I lens about me or heal about me, myself, that makes sure that the next relationship is not gonna have that in it. But then here's the incredible bit. You jump in with both feet every single time. You go like, okay, time for love again. Uh, no holding back. I'm going to completely be into this, right? Because it's a time saver. It's a time, time saver. saver. <laughs> like that. <laughs> you just discover everything right away. And firstly, and then everything in this life ends at some point. Absolutely everything has an expiration date. Life has an expiration date. So you shouldn't be living as if everything is going to last forever because it's not going to last forever. And so I don't know how much and how long I have with that person, but it's my opportunity to love and to be loved. And I will take it. I will take it. Don't you have that global desire of, no, hold on. I like this guy. If you're into men and you're listening to us, I like, uh, you know, into women and you're listening to us, I like that girl. And, and basically I want to keep this forever. This I think is one of the biggest struggles. I call it the third reason, yeah. third biggest reason of unhappiness in the world is I want this to last forever. Yes, but nothing lasts forever. <laughs> when you, it's Bad very news. hard to, <laughs> very hard to realize, but it's a fact. Nothing lasts forever and nothing will. And I think we humans, it's something that we will never accept fully. There will always be the sense of nostalgia within us that things will end. And everything that we create and do and accomplish, it's going to end at some point. And so when you realize that every relationship also will end, sometimes with a death, sometimes with a divorce, and sometimes, you know, just through separation, you realize, how can I contribute to this relationship right now? And how can I evolve from that relationship right now? And some people, you know, will experience many relationships in their life that will make them grow. And other people will experience that one relationship for their lifetime. Everything well, at, and at some point, and, and I think the attitude of not assuming or deciding that this will last forever, actually is much better attitude that motivates us to appreciate what we have in every single moment. And sometimes not knowing how long things last, is much harder than knowing when things will end. And so we prefer to end things just to know and to control that, that end of things because we, are, we feel so uncomfortable with not knowing how long something will last. And so I feel just accepting that this reality is ephemeral and accepting the beauty of it because it exists for a reason. Why? universe or God created death. It's not by accident, right? It's for a reason because it gives a meaning to everything. Imagine that your life is going on forever and forever and you can't die. I bet that actually part of you will feel like unmotivated with everything you do and perhaps even bored. The ending exists to give meaning to everything that there is. 
it puts us in the state of appreciation. It puts us in the state of gratitude. It puts us in the state where we can really see this life from the present moment. And that's where the life exists, only in the present moment. I believe people have sort of contradicting objectives. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, for those who manage to have relationships that last a very, very long time, mostly motivated by security, mostly motivated by, I just don't want to be out there again. This is going well. We have kids. We need to take care of them. You know, I want to change the car again in a few years time, you know, stuff like that. Right. But then normally those relationships, not always, but more often than not, they become like, okay, so it's the anti-experience. It's, you know, you're not really experiencing much in life. And I always speak very lovingly of my ex, Nibel, who is, in my personal view, the most incredible woman I, you know, mm -hmm. I could have ever been blessed to have in my life. But yet, post-Nibel, even though most of my experiences post-Nibel were horrible, they were experiences. And there was a, an incredible insight, as you rightly said, but also an incredible feeling of aliveness in trying something that's not as predictable as a long-term marriage is or a, a wonderful, predictable, close soul to you is going to be. There is an interesting element of maybe life is designed to be multiple experiences. But here's the dilemma then. How do you handle those conflicting parts of yourself in terms of your self-love because there is part of you that says I want the security and monotony and I want the predictability and there is another part that is perhaps more in line with life that says and I want to experience lots of things so I can be the best version of myself how do you balance that well to not outsource my security I don't think anything that is external can ever contribute to your sense of security true sense of security because a true sense of security comes from knowing who you are and if we outsource that and if we think marriage will give us security relationship will give us security this will give us security we put a condition on how we feel so i will only feel secure when I will be married when I will have a house, when I will have a safe job. Now, is it possible to feel secure without those conditions being fulfilled? Yes. Is it possible to have those conditions fulfilled and still not feel secure? Yes. So what does it mean? It means that this sense of security really can only ever be created from within. How many relationships and marriages there is who are secure, but still there is jealousy, there is mistrust, there is constant fear that things will end any day. This you can't outsource. And sometimes even if every single condition of that person was fulfilled, they still wouldn't feel secure if they don't feel secure within themselves. And feeling secure within yourself is when you can provide that nest for yourself, when you can hold yourself, when you can stand up for yourself, when you can... Be truthful to your desire and your dreams when you can be truthful to what you feel. So not ignoring yourself, not divorcing yourself, not rejecting yourself. That's the true sense of security. That's really, really, really beautifully said. 
And that's when you get into flow, which you speak about a lot, right? The idea of getting into flow and sort of letting life take over a little bit. Yes, the art of surrender, I do call it the art of surrender, because life really doesn't happen anywhere else than here and now. And when we are present with everything that is, we get into a flow of life that allows us to experience synchronicities in our life and magic beyond our understanding. But also it contributes to our general mental health, to the state of peace of mind. It quiets our thoughts, it quiets our monkey mind, it quiets our inner critic. And so being in that present moment, not only like Stephen Kotler and Jamie will describe that in their book, Still in Fire, it's not only gives you this feeling of selflessness, effortlessness, timelessness and richness when you feel time is disappearing and you feel yourself is disappearing and you have those downloads of ideas, but it also creates, first of all, creates a, an influence, five most addictive neurochemicals your brain can produce and put you in alpha brainwaves, which both influence your physical and mental health. So, you know, being in the present moment and being in the flow, it, it's not only so important for our well-being, but it's also important because there is nothing apart from that. You know, we try to predict future and think, oh my God, I know what's going to happen in one week or one year, but do you? How many times you plan something for yourself and something completely different happened? So why not as well just to surrender and to trust? When you trust yourself that whatever you do and however you act will guide you in the exactly right places in the exactly right time, you can just relax and surrender and know that you are going to receive and attract right things for you. And love of attraction, you know, it doesn't come from the, in a way that suddenly reality will materialize. It comes in a form of energy. So you receive the energy that is then translated as a thought to your mind, in your mind, that then you translate into inaction. So I get a thought that I have to go somewhere today and I follow it. So I go somewhere and then I meet this person who it's guide, guides me to meet another person and another person. And suddenly all my, you know, my biggest dream of publishing a book, for example, comes true because I follow. I was in the state of receiving what I was creating. And it's so important to not only create, but really create the time to receive what you're creating. That leads to my next question. So the art of surrender, but you also speak of the art of giving and receiving. It's not just receiving from the universe, is it? It's receiving yes. from everything and everyone, including yourself, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and it's so important to have that balance, to create that space to receive. Because when you, I meet so many people who tell me, oh, I'm a great giver, but I can't receive. I think including even you, if I'm not mistaken. And you need to realize, first of all, that when you not allow other people to give, you literally take from them a possibility for them to create. So receiving, being in a state of receiving, allowing it's allowing other people to create and to give and to contribute. And it's so important in every relationship because when we give, we feel needed, we feel important, we feel 
loved. We feel that we contribute. And it's very important state. And on the other hand, when we receive, we are in the state of self-appreciation, of self-acknowledgement, of self-gratitude, because we wouldn't allow ourselves to receive unless we think we are worthy of receiving. And also, you know, even in the law of attraction, energy of asking is very different of the energy of receiving. Many people is asking constantly, I want this, I want that, and I want that. But they won't create a vibration in which they can actually receive what they ask for. So rather than asking, you know, it's important to just be in that energy and assume that this is done already. It's coming. It's, it's here. Okay, let's finish with a few self-concepts. Rapid fire, if you want. I tell you self something and you tell me what you feel about it. So self-fulfillment. What I feel about this. I mean, <laughs> what, what, I... what you want to teach us about it. Um, I think self-fulfillment is to be absolutely satisfied and appreciated with everything that is happening in every single moment. It's not getting what you want. It's wanting what you get. A bit of surrender again. It's a bit of acceptance. It's unapologetical, just acceptance of everything that comes your way. There is a term I heard you use that I don't understand. Self-suggestion. What is self-suggestion? Self-suggestion is basically the language, the internal language you use towards yourself. How are you speaking to yourself? How are you talking to yourself? What are your thoughts? What is your inner dialogue, basically? And you can really beautifully and positively influence your state of mind because we can't have negative and positive thoughts at the same time. If you choose to think positively, you won't be able to think ne negatively. And so there is always a choice. Are you going to focus on the glass that is half empty or the glass that is half full? Which side of things are you going to see and receive? And there is always a different interpretation of every situation. Which one are you going to adopt? Which one are you choosing to adopt? And it's this awareness of what thoughts am I choosing? Because you can't stop them, but you can choose them. And it's so important to choose those that are influencing you in a positive way. You know, I can say, oh my God, this is not working, that not working, that not working. Great. But if I keep telling this to myself, nothing will ever work. So I can change that. And I can choose even by force at first to, okay, well, I'm going to test to think that, you know, everything is good. Everything is like it's supposed to be and see what kind of feelings that creates in me and what actually is changing through that self-suggestion. So part of our self-love is the way we talk to ourselves. Oh, 100%. Yeah, the way we treat ourselves because a big part of the way we treat ourselves is in words, right? Absolutely. Another part of the way we treat ourselves is self-care. Mm -hmm. What is self-care? It's basically treating yourself as your best friend. And sometimes it's easier to almost externalize yourself. Like if I was my best friend, 
if I was talking right now to my best friend and I was treating my best friend, what I would do. So if you struggle with this, the very easy technique is to imagine, okay, yourself as your best friend. It's like, what good friend would do right now? Would I scream at that person and say, oh my God, what are you doing? You're stupid. No way. I would say, hey, you know, maybe you need some fresh air. Let's go for a walk. Maybe you need some massage. Maybe I can cook for you. Maybe today we will do a movie night. How about that? Is to just give yourself a break sometimes and just take care of yourself. So important to nourish that. So simple to be that person. Think about it, right? So simple and so difficult. What is self validation? I think this is not going in the right. It's not in order. It's not in order. No, no, no. It's not in order. We're skipping from one to another. I think we can wrap it up. I think we said plenty. I, I don't think there is anything else I want to share. Okay. So let me ask one last question. Okay. So let's wrap it all up then. What is self-love? If you were to summarize self-love. You know, I love just using this term to marry yourself for better and for worse. I mean, a lot of marriages are horrible. So, you know, is that, is that really <laughs> the best way to... They are to... horrible because people make them horrible. But for marrying yourself for better and for worse means that you will love yourself for all the good reasons, but you will also love yourself for all the other reasons as well. And so that means that even if I'm angry, I will love myself. Even if I didn't succeed at something, I will still love myself. It's... It's having absolute compassion towards yourself at every single moment. Compassion of for your own humanity and never punish yourself for anything you've done. Never beat yourself up. Never be your worst enemy. A big part of self-love for everyone who's listening here is to choose your friends carefully. So <laughs> D is my friend. This is the kind of friend that I include in my life that... Uh, reminds me of what it's all about to live likewise self-love yeah likewise mom dorotka i am so grateful that you came again and shared all thank of this you for having me with us when is recreate yourself coming out well it's a uh, third of march so i think it's already published yeah so uh people can reorder enjoy the wisdom enjoy a bit of self-love Dee, thank you so much for being here. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. This is the typical stuff that Dorotka and I and many of our good friends would talk about. So uh, you guys were Morning, um, our guests today. Yeah. <laughs> and, Brilliant. Um, thank you, Mo. Yeah. If you liked it, please share it with others that you love. Tell them about what we spoke about today. And um, yeah. I hope that you found some kind of an opportunity for reflection in a bit of time that we slowed down together. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.